Welcome to the USA Hockey Magazine podcast with your host, editor of USA Hockey Magazine, Harry Thompson. We are in Providence, Rhode Island at the USA Hockey Advanced Officiating Symposium. Uh, we just finished listening to Olympic official Jessica LeClerc uh, speak, uh, and Jessica is nice enough to spend a couple minutes with us today just to talk about her career and her uh, her thoughts on on the profession, and uh, hopefully talk a little bit more about about getting more women involved in in officiating and, and involved in the game at all levels. So, Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Absolutely appreciate it. So, um, let's to, to start with. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your presentation today uh, and being here at say, at the USA Hockey Advanced Officiating Symposium with two hundred dedicated officials just like yourself. So my presentation today was um, about, oh my goodness, I feel like it just just happened two seconds ago and I forgot (laughs) what I talked about, Uh, creating rapport and credibility as a linesman. And uh, it's just an incredible opportunity to, to present the information and and like you said, there's, you know, 200 officials here from all over the country, which is is great. And. And it's fun to, to be back in the hockey world and, and talking about hockey again. And certainly we've missed that. Just talk a little bit about um, during this pandemic. I mean, your full-time job uh, in, in, in health care, uh, so you were on the front lines. Can you just talk a little bit about, about that and, uh, and, and, and what this last year has been like for you? Sure. Uh, it's probably been the, the hardest uh, year and a half of my life. Um, Working in long-term care and nursing homes, um, I've dealt with multiple outbreaks and, and significant outbreaks. Um, not only did it take an emotional toll on, on the people that were in the front lines, but a, a physical toll. Um, we had staff that worked countless hours, um, and certainly that was a, a big component of it, them managing what they had to do at work, but also at home, and, and things were changing every single day. And um, from an emotional standpoint, um, there's really no way to describe what the last year and a half was like. Um, and it continues to be. The pandemic is far from being over in, in long-term care and, and what that looks like. And, you know, when you when you lose residents and, and things like that, um, and you never know when the next shoe is going to drop. And that's been the toughest part for all of us is, you know, one minute things seem to be going good and, and the next second it's, you know, we've got a positive case in our building, and, and how do we make sure that that, that is, doesn't spread and we don't have a significant outbreak? And, and those are just absolutely devastating. Absolutely. I, I hope this doesn't come across like a trite question, but how does the dedication and um, commitment that you've, you've, you've developed over the years as an official, how have you been able to draw off of that uh, in, in your full-time job? So uh, my full-time job is an administrator in a nursing home. And so my, my job there is to lead a team. And how do we lead a team through these stressors? And to me, officiating is kind of the same thing. How do you lead you know, your teammates and, and the people that are a little bit less experienced um, in a time that was really stressful? And, and to maintain calm um, as officials, you, you have games and you have moments that, you know, it feels like the entire world is caving in on you. Um, it's Everyone's looking at you to make that big call and have that courage to make the call. Uh, it's the same thing in, in healthcare, and it, it absolutely translates um, of making sure that there's a calmness to the leadership and, and what that looks like. And, and certainly, I'd like to think that a lot of those skills to be able to maintain calm and, and lead are, come from officiating. 
Absolutely. Well, in addition to, um, obviously, your on-ice experience, you also have done a little bit of transitioning off the ice. You're now the uh, referee-in-chief for the great state of Maine. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about that job and what it entails and how, how you uh, were selected for that position? Well, I think with most um, most positions that are volunteer, it's, uh, hey, do you want to do this? I think you do a great job, and, and you say yes, and um, that really is what happened. Um, given that I'm located in Maine, I don't always get the opportunities to give back to the game and in a, in a greater capacity in terms of supervising and things like that. Um, we don't necessarily host national tournaments or even regional tournaments. It's, it's a little bit smaller. So when I took on the the job of the state RIC, uh, it's been, I think, five or six seasons now, um, it was really about my way to be able to give back um, and to, to lead a, a group of officials. Um, my day-to-day operations are really just how can we continue to build the rapport between our, our officials and our associations and the affiliates and building that bond and, under, and having them understand that, you know, the game of hockey isn't the game of hockey without the officials. We're equally as important as every other person that's out there, and, and we have the same passion and drive and end goal that they have. Um, so that, that's been a really big piece of it, particularly in Maine, is how to build that, that relationship in, in my role. And also, how do I give opportunities to uh, my officials? So the officials that are from Maine, how do we get them to work, um, you know, regional tournaments and go to camps and work national tournaments and, and get them to be wherever they want to be in their officiating goals? You know, that's a great point because uh, Matt Leaf, uh, the, the head of the USA Hockey's officiating education program, was saying yesterday that uh, last year, obviously, was a, a crazy year on, on just about every front. Um, they, USA Hockey lost 6,000 registered officials. Now, some of that could be COVID-related in terms of not getting games to work in certain leagues, but a part of it is is um, the abuse of officials uh, uh, you know, around the game. And, to, and to, to your point, I mean, the game doesn't take place without an official. So how do we, uh, how do we turn the tide and how do we change the, that direction on that? I think it's conti- continued communication that, you know, the, the, and I said this during my presentation, you know, the coaches and players, as soon as we put on our, our sweater, our officiating sweater, we're the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And ultimately we're not. We're there for the same reason they are. We're, we're here and, and doing the job that we do because we love the game of hockey and we want to continue to be involved. And, and just because... Ultimately, we may be the ones that make a decision that they may not agree or, or like or things like that. Um, we are part of the game, mm-hmm. and and so part of that is is putting a human element to it. You know, certainly um, over the years, one of the things that has been extremely helpful is that you know as I get to know coaches and players and parents and, and things like that. I share with them, you know what, I'm not just an official out there, you know, I have a family, I have a career, these are the other things, these are other aspects um, that that I'm involved in, and certainly now, and I, I mentioned it, I just recently became a Pro Board Certified Firefighter, and it's interesting, because no one ever yells at the firefighters coming in to help them, right, or, or rescue, or, or something like that, and, uh, you know, it's like, it's the same thing in hockey, you know, you're yelling at me or, or, you know, treating me a particular way because of the uniform I have, but ultimately I'm here to be part of the game and I'm here to be part of the experience just like you are. And, um, you know, how do we get them to see us and, and at least give us the benefit of the doubt that we have the same intentions and goals that they have? Absolutely. Well, just on a little bit more, a lighter note or a more positive note, uh, I noticed on your uh, on your wrist you have uh, your the Olympic rings. And uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the, the podcast, uh, 
You were uh, a member of the U.S. officiating crew that worked the 2018 uh, Olympics in Pyeongchang, South Korea. Can you just talk about the journey that you took to get to there and what was it like when you finally stepped on the ice uh, in Pyeongchang for that first time? Uh, well, it's been a it's been a long journey for me. I started officiating when I was 12, and um, according to the brochure for the symposium, I've been officiating for 24 years, which makes it sound like I've been around a long time, which I have. But my international career is relatively short in the grand scheme of things. In the winter and December of 2015, I got a uh, email from Matt Lee saying, "Hey." There's a uh, linesman. We have a linesman slot that just opened up in the U18 Women's World Championships being held in January in Buffalo. Can you make it? And, you know, I instantly did the reaction. Every time I, Matt Leaf emails me, I re- instantly write back, yes. And then I try to figure out how to make it happen. And the reason I said yes so quickly to that was because, you know, that summer, uh, previous, that previous summer I went to elite camp and, and Matt had said to me, hey, if the door cracks open, you've got to be ready to kick it wide open. And, and that st- has stuck with me. As soon as an opportunity arises, it's, it's time to get to work and, and get it done and, and kick the door wide open and see where, where it takes you. And certainly, I've been really fortunate. I've, I've worked uh, multiple world championships and, and, and uh, over time. And, um, you know, the Olympics was, was always a dream of mine. Was 18 probably would not have been my, my dream, um, only because I had just started my Olympic journey or my international journey. But, uh, you know, getting there and being chosen to be there, um, it, it came with a lot of, of pressure on your shoulders. Um, you represent uh, what I consider the best officiating program in the world. And, and, and that's, so that's a lot of pressure. Um, there are people that are really right behind us and, and working hard and, and doing all the right things. And, and, I, and again, I'm, I'm fortunate. I was in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. And, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful for that. Um, you know, stepping on the ice for that first game, um, you know, it was almost dual pressure for me. It was my first Olympic game on the ice, which is nerve-wracking in itself, but it was also the first ever unified Korean game. <laughs> so, uh, and that, that was a big significance at the Olympics that we were at. And, um, I just remember thinking, you know, the game happened, and obviously I, I had the nervous Nellies on the blue line. The puck hadn't even dropped, and I'm like, geez, if I don't stop shaking, I'm not going to ever be able to drop the puck, let alone make a call and, and uh, get some composure. But I remember thinking after the game, you know, the teams, we are the last team to exit the ice, mm-hmm. and we were standing there waiting for the Korean team to leave. And the um, we were fortunate one of the – it was two of us from the U.S. and two from Canada that were doing the game that day. And one of the, the Canadian linesmen, she's like, guys, we're at the Olympics. Like, <laughs> take a look around. Take it all in. And um, but that was at the moment that it really sunk in. Like, holy smokes, here we are. We are here representing our countries um, and at the, at the highest level we possibly ever come to. Like, we're here. And we're also part of such a historic Olympics on the women's hockey side. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I wanted to ask you, too, about, you know, like you said, the USA Hockey is the is the benchmark for officiating education around the world. Being here this week and seeing, I believe there might be, there's like 16 women who are um, who are here working for their, their tenured status. There's five more that would be here, but they're self-isolating to prepare for the Women's World Championships up in Calgary. Can you talk about the 
opportunities that have been afforded to women in the game at the officiating level and, and how maybe you've seen it evolve over the years? Sure. There, you know, when I started, you know, 24 years ago, um, I didn't know any other female officials. I thought I was one, and, I, and for a long time, I was probably the only official from Maine, uh, female official. And and I, I love seeing the women here this weekend. Um, you know, the interesting part for on the women's side is we are a small group, but we're a strong group. Um, we are some of the best in the world, and, and we don't take that for granted. The same thing is there may be 16 women here, but there's a group of them that I don't know, which is amazing to me. Um, you know, we we work and, and support each other and, and compete, and and that's something I've seen over the over the last you know five or six years is you know we're in there to compete against each other because we all want that that championship game or we want the the opportunity to work at an international tournament, but ultimately we are each other's biggest cheerleaders, and I think that's one part that is a little bit different on the women's side is because we do know each other, we know each other off the ice, on the ice. Um, and we're, we're here to support each other. And, you know, when, when someone gets an opportunity to, to do something, particularly when we're, you know, breaking those glass ceilings, mm-hmm. um, you know, Kendall uh, Hanley got to do the Robertson Cup this year in the North American Hockey League. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of me was like, holy Toledo, like we, we got there, we got to that level, and that's, that's amazing. And, and she worked her, her butt off, and she's got however many women officials we've got, you know, here in in the U.S. alone, just rooting for her and, and mm-hmm. her success and, and how proud we are of being a part of that group as well. I can imagine, talk about butterflies. I mean, just, you know, just, I mean, obviously she's there to do a job and she was picked for a reason. She's, yeah. she's, a, she's a phenomenal official. But, I mean, you wonder if there's a part of her in the back of her mind that says, I'm not just doing this for myself, I'm doing this for all the other female officials. Oh, there's, without a doubt. I think those of us who have been, you know, afforded the opportunity to sort of be the front leaders in breaking that glass ceiling, we certainly don't do it for us. No way. Um, and I, I certain Kendall is the same thing. Um, you know, we look and we say, okay, you know what, if I can do this particular level, you know, I, I skated in the USHL a couple of years ago, and, and they hadn't seen a female official in probably a decade, if not longer. And, you know, it was really about, okay, if I can do these two games, maybe next year someone can do four games. Mm-hmm. And maybe the year after they can get a half a ske- season schedule. And then, you know, after that we can build towards, you know, working a playoff game. And really, that's that's really the mentality of where we're at, especially when we're we're talking about breaking those glass ceilings. Um, we can certainly, you know, think about you know we we go and work these international tournaments, but those are on the women's side, and mm-hmm. and I think we've we've pretty much captured every single opportunity on that side um, as a as a U.S. crew. Mm-hmm. Um, but the on the men's side, we we've got work to do, and work has been done and continues to be done, and. Um, you know, we've got so many women who have the ability to, to continue that journey that some, what I call some of us older, older officials have, have started, mm-hmm. um, and they're, and they're going to finish it. There's no doubt in my mind. Absolutely. Well, this is my final question is, is based off of that. Uh, yesterday, uh, one of the presentations, uh, Chris Rooney, who's a 20-plus year NHL official, was asked, we have female officials working in the NBA and in the NFL. Uh, does he see the day when there's a female official in in the NHL? And he said, absolutely. He, if you know, he supports that 100. percent Do you do you see that that day coming? Uh, you know, whether it's 
a couple years from down the road or a few more? I mean, you know, what's absolutely, your absolutely. Uh, you know, just last uh, two years ago, we, um, you know, the women officials were invited um, to the NHL Combine, and we were able to participate in that. And we had uh, four official, four female officials go and do some preseason games in the NHL, and um, you know, we we will absolutely get there. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind, and it, it may not be those of us that are currently still on the ice, but uh, it's it's going to be someone, a female official, who right now may not even be an official, and we just got to get them involved in the game, and um, we'll, we're going to get there. Absolutely. Well, when that day happens, uh, they're going to owe a big uh, debt of gratitude to people like yourselves who who really uh, who really set the bar high, and uh, and so. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for speaking here at the Advanced Officiating Symposium, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best of luck both on the ice and off the ice in the future. Thank you so much. All right, and thanks, everybody, for listening to another USA Hockey Magazine podcast. This has been the USA Hockey Magazine podcast. 